let me ask you this question. If, just think about it for a minute. For you, if I, if I asked you, what is the greatest place on earth? Um, I want you to think about it for a moment. What would that answer be for you? Now, if you, we're honest, it really depends on how old you are, what kind of hobbies you enjoy, how much you enjoy traveling, if you like being on, a, on an airplane or not, whether you like being around people or like being by yourself. All of us would answer that question a little bit differently. Uh, if you're eight years old, you may say uh, Disney World would be the greatest place on earth, which sounds like a nightmare to others. Um, if, uh, I, I don't know, maybe we've got some skiers and some boarders in here. Some of you would say the ski slopes, like that right there. New powder, no one else in my way. Uh, no crowds, that's the perfect, that's the greatest place on earth. Uh, maybe you would say a secluded river in a canyon with a fly rod in my hand. Now, of the three options, this is the one I'm choosing. Um, you know, like nobody else around, no noises, just, just nature and a little fishing. Uh, that sounds like maybe uh, the greatest place on earth to me um, and could certainly use a getaway there this week. Um, so we would all answer that question a little differently. And here's what I want to propose to you today and we're going to talk about for the next three weeks that uh, I truly believe that the church is the greatest place on earth, that the church is the greatest place on earth because it was important enough for Jesus to die for her and to entrust her, the church, to carry on his mission after he was gone. Now, as soon as I say that, that the church is the greatest place on earth, uh, there's a lot of objections, and maybe even in your mind some ob objections pop up, like, um, I don't know that I would go that far. I don't know that I'd go so far to say that the church is the greatest place on earth. Um, I I've had some really bad experiences in church before. Uh, maybe you would even say, I've been hurt in church before. Or you'd say, I know some really terrible people who go to church, or, or I know some people who um, are really mean and really hurtful uh, that, that are there at church every Sunday. And here's what my response to you would be um, if you would say those things about church. And I would say, welcome to the club. Um, we have all had bad experiences at times in church. We have all been hurt by people within a church. We have all known people in a church uh, who were mean and nasty and selfish. The church is not the greatest place on earth because it's a perfect place full of perfect people. And thank goodness it's not. Uh, how awkward would it be to, to come to a church full of perfect people? Uh, you and I would stick out. Um, none of us want to be a part of a perfect place because we would just mess it up. Um, we wouldn't fit in, and it would be obvious to everyone that we didn't fit in. Uh, the church, and Element Church included, is not a perfect place. And Element Church isn't a perfect place because of certain people. Let me tell you this, the church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for the hurting. Uh, 
what Jesus created and what he designed the church to be is not a museum for saints or perfect people, but a hospital for those who are hurting. And if you think about it for just a moment, maybe our first answer wouldn't have been, you know, the greatest place on earth is a hospital. But for some people, the greatest place on earth could be a hospital in a particular moment. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced many medical emergencies. Um, I've had, you know, a few broken this or that and some stitches here and there. Um, but there's only one medical emergency I've ever experienced. And uh, this was when I was quite a bit younger, um, but woke up one morning with an incredible pain in my side. Um, started, you know, getting sick and vomiting and just was really hurting and really sick. And I had eaten some hamburgers at a friend's house the night before. And so I thought, okay. You know, it was old meat, bad meat, not cooked all the way. That's got to be what it is. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And I kept thinking, surely this is eventually going to go away. Surely this is going to get better. Um, eventually uh, made my way to the doctor, where the doctor told me that uh, your appendix is highly inflamed and, inf- and infected, and we have to do surgery now um, before it erupts. Uh, For me, in that moment, there was no greater place on the earth than the hospital. Uh, If you have cancer or have known someone with cancer, um, although we don't love hospitals and love going there, when you're hurting and you're in need, there's no greater place on earth than a hospital where you can find healing and, and wholeness and be helped. If you were in the first century... At the time of when a lot of the events in the New Testament take place during the life of Christ, if you were hurting, there was no greater place to be than in the presence of Jesus. And with that said, I want us to open up our Bibles together to Luke chapter 5. We're going to open up to Luke chapter 5. So pull out your Bible, pull out your smartphone, open up the Bible app if you don't have the Bible app. If you, don't, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one underneath your seat or in front of you, and, um, and if you use one of our Bibles, the page numbers will be up on the screen for you. That's a little hard to read, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes you don't realize that when you're looking at it on your computer. We'll make it bigger next week. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Now, here's what we're going to do. Before we start reading, um, let me tell you this. Luke chapter 5 is taking place at the very, very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus has just now started going public with his teachings, with all the miraculous works that he's been doing. Um, as a matter of fact, he hasn't even finished picking, handpicking the 12 guys who are going to become his disciples and spend the next three years following him around and doing ministry with him. So we don't even have the full 12 disciples all gathered together yet. This is really early in his ministry. But instantly, as soon as Jesus starts going public, as soon as he starts teaching, as soon as he starts visiting those who are hurting and starts doing incredible works, news spreads quickly. And let's pick it up in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 15. 
But now, even more, the report about him, talking about Jesus, went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmaries. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a man, bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Um, Now you can imagine, even in the first century, without the avenues of social media and modern technology, how quickly word would spread about a man who could heal you. About a man who could um, just reach out and touch you and take away your pain and your suffering, and your disease. About a man who could just speak a word and bring you back to life. You can imagine how quickly word would spread um, and how many people were looking for hope and for healing. Um, Now at this time in history, there are uh, very, very rough and rudimentary hospitals. But they're not really hospitals in the modern sense of the word. Um, really, they're just special gathering places for the sick. Um, occasionally, there'll be someone there to tend to their needs, to give them some water, uh, or maybe give them a blanket. But most of what at this time is considered um, places for the sick to go or hospitals um, would be a pagan temple where people would gather together and offer sacrifices to some man-made carved image hoping that if, if, if all the things and all the stars align just right, they just might, something special might happen. But there was no place to really go to find healing and help uh, if you were sick. It, it really wasn't for another about two to three centuries that what we think of as modern hospitals start to emerge. And uh, as you, if, if you're interested in history... Um, This is an interesting part of history um, when you study medical history. And um, according to the uh, Encyclopedia of Medical History, um, that actually um, even those in the medical world who aren't Christians give credit to Christians for creating what we know now as modern hospitals and modern medical care. Because it was under the influence of Christians following the example of Christ that began to go and to gather sick people to provide healing and hope and help. Um, But everywhere Jesus went, people followed. Because they heard stories. And they they wanted to know what might happen. And one day, uh, a group of men come carrying a friend of theirs who's sick and hurting and paralyzed. Because they think Jesus can help. Um, But as so often happens with Jesus... He's surrounded by a great crowd. Jesus is inside a home, and it's so crowded that there's no more room for anyone in the entire home. And there's, and there's no room to even get into the doorway. And so these men do uh, the only thing that they know what to do. They climb on the roof, 
of someone else's house, mind you, and dig a hole to lower their friend on the inside of the house. And then something really interesting happens. Uh, Jesus looks at this guy and he says this in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. And picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they, all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Here's what I want you to know today. Um, and when, you were walk, when you walked in this morning, you were handed what we call a worship guide. And on the back is an opportunity for you to take notes. And uh, there should be a pen right in front of the seat back in front of you. And, and here's what I want you to write down. I've got a few points to make today. And this is the first one. Point number one. Jesus wants to heal your hurts. Jesus wants to heal your hurts. Jesus, in Matthew 11, um, talking to his disciples, uh, he actually begins praying um, before his disciples, thanking God, and then when he gets done praying, he turns and he looks at his disciples and the others that are gathered around him in the crowd, and he says, says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, Jesus, Jesus wants to heal your hurts. Some of us in this room may be experiencing physical hurt. Um, maybe, maybe there's... Uh, a, a report that's being that you're waiting for from the doctor, or maybe you already have the report from the doctor, uh, and now you're trying to figure out what to do next. Maybe you've just been in pain for a while. Uh, maybe there's something that you're experiencing that nobody else knows about. And and here's what I want you to know: Jesus wants to heal your hurts, and part of those hurts. Include the physical challenges that you wrestle with. And they also go beyond the physical. Because what happens when we are struggling physically, there's mental and emotional and spiritual weight that we start to carry. Or maybe even you're not the one who's sick, but you're sitting next to, or you're going to go have lunch with, or going to see tomorrow at work somebody that you love and care about dearly, who's battling a physical struggle and sickness. 
And as somebody who loves them, even you can carry an emotional and mental and spiritual weight. And, and just as Jesus gets done praying, and he, he, he gets done praying and he looks at his disciples in Matthew 11 and says, um, I want to take your burdens from you. I don't want you to carry those anymore. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. You may or may not be familiar with what that means. A yoke is um, what's put over the back of, uh, of an ox um, that you tie the reins to. So if you're going to plow a field in the first century, the ox is going to pull the plow for you. And the yoke is somewhat like the harness that you're going to put on top of the shoulders of the ox. And and. Jesus looks and in a language that first century people would understand says, my yoke is easy. What you have on your shoulders now is almost impossible to bear, but what I want to do is, is I want to I exchange that. I want to take your burdens. I want to take that weight off your shoulders. And I want to give you my yoke that's easy. I want to give you my burden that's light. Jesus wants to heal your physical body. What I can't do is I can't make promises about particular and certain situations. I don't know if God will take that particular pain that you're dealing with right now. I don't know if he'll take that pain away. He does do it. We read about it in the scriptures. I've seen it hundreds of times. Everything from the, the small of just a prayer and then a headache is gone. A prayer and an aching back is gone. I've seen the small and I've seen the big. Prayer and then the cancer's gone. Prayer and somebody who is supposed to be a vegetable and dead comes back to life. But not always. And I can't make promises and speak on God's behalf and say that yes, this particular physical ailment will go away. Jesus does it. And we'll pray for it. And you should pray for it. But more than just the physical healing, the weight that you carry, Jesus wants to take that from you. And in reality, that's a part of the healing process. Number one, Jesus wants to heal your hurts. Number two, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus wants to make you whole. Jesus wants to make you whole. If we look back in Luke chapter 5, this paralyzed man is lowered on a mat through the ceiling right in front of Jesus. And I, I almost wonder what it was like in the house. I don't know if you do this when you read the Bible. Um, if you ever try to picture yourself in the situation and wonder, what was it like? What did it sound like? What did it look like? What did it smell like? What did it feel like? If you were in that home, what was it like? Obviously crowded, probably hot, probably smelled. Um, and not particularly great smells. 
if you've ever been in really crammed crowds of people, you might know what I'm talking about. Aside from the fact that we're talking about first century hygiene on top of it. So it's packed, it's uncomfortable, it's hot, it smells. But nobody cares about it. Because Jesus is there. That's who they've all come to see. He's got things he wants to say. And so while normally you would expect a crowded house to be loud, it must have been incredibly quiet. Because everybody had given up a lot to be there. They had left work. They had left duties and responsibilities. They had dropped everything and fought through the crowds to be there. It must have been terribly quiet. And then all of a sudden there comes a scratching and a clawing sound from the roof. Dust starts to fall from the ceiling on everyone. And then as the sunlight starts shining through, a man starts being lowered by some ropes into the middle of the crowd. Jesus looks at this man. He looks up. And he can see four faces peering in through the hole in the ceiling, wondering what Jesus is going to do next. There's probably a homeowner in the corner going, I hope Jesus strikes him with lightning for that one, right? But Jesus looks at the man, he looks up, looks at the man, and what does he do? Everybody must have been on pins and needles waiting. What is Jesus going to do? You know, abracadabra, does he, does he shake the guy, does he touch him, does he, what does he do, how does, how does this work? And Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? The, a lot of the crowd had to be thinking, wait, What? This man is paralyzed. His legs would have shown it. They wouldn't have had muscle definition or the ability to hold him, the man up. And, and so they can tell what's wrong and they're going, wait, what? And especially the religious leaders. For them, it wasn't just confusing. For them, it was infuriating. No one has the right to forgive sins but God alone. Not only is it absurd because that's not why they brought their friend here. They brought their friend to get healed. This guy needs to be healed. But aside from all that, no one but God has the authority to forgive sins. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees, these are those religious leaders, began to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And as they're murmuring together, Jesus perceived their thoughts and he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite titles to refer to himself. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. A 
Matthew chapter 16. Starting in verse 24, Jesus says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? They're infuriated by Jesus' words, and Jesus says, what would have been easier? To forgive his sins or to fix his legs? What's more important, what's more difficult, to save his soul or to save, to save his physical well-being? But to prove to him to to them, to the crowd, that he had the authority, that he had the power, that as God in the flesh, it was his right to pronounce forgiveness of sins. He said, fine, I'll play your game. Get up and walk. And the man gets up, grabs the mat that he had been laying most of his life on and begins pushing through the crowd out through the door, celebrating what God had just done. Jesus wants to heal your hurts. But more than that, Jesus wants to make you whole. What a worthless loss it would be if if Jesus were only our genie in a bottle who we could rub the lamp and have him fulfill three wishes. And we got whatever we wanted in this life, whether it were physical healing or lots of money or great success or the perfect family and job or whatever it is that you want. And we got everything we wanted for 70 years and then spent the rest of eternity in misery. Jesus said, what does it gain a man to gain the whole world If he forfeits his soul, what good is it for you and for I to get rid of of heavy burdens, whether they're emotional or mental or physical, that we're dealing with in life, if in the end, it's only a temporary solution because we never allow Jesus to make us whole. Because we don't allow Jesus to look into our lives and to deal with the real, serious and root problems within our lives. There's so many great things that Jesus wants to do in our lives. For some of you, it will be physical, literal, physical healing. For all of us, it can be the weight of this world lifted off our shoulders, knowing that it doesn't have to be our responsibility to carry Because we have a God who loves us and wants to carry it for us. But what's most important is that we don't just see Jesus as a great doctor in the sky. But that he becomes our Lord. 
He becomes the master of our lives, that we entrust him not just with our physical bodies, but we trust him with our soul, that we place all of our allegiance in him. So that before we worry about physical healing, we worry about the healing of our souls that are marred and scarred by sin. And it's only Jesus who has the power to forgive our sin and to make us whole. Number one, Jesus wants to heal your hurts. Number two, Jesus wants to make you whole. And number three, Jesus wants to use you to heal. Jesus wants to use you to heal. Now picture what life is like for that man who just got a new set of legs. The one who had been carried in and put before Jesus. He, he walks out of the house singing and celebrating. I, I can only assume that his imagination begins to run wild. Because in the first century, if you were paralyzed, you had no life. You had no you had no wife, he, he had no children, he probably had very few, if any, family there to care for him. Uh, he had no job, so his only two options for survival in life um, were to depend on family or to depend on strangers. So that meant someone in the family had to bring him in, let him live with them, and, and that individual had to provide all of the medical and and care, the food, the housing, the clothing, all of it. Or, as in was about 90% of the cases, uh, if you were paralyzed or uh, you were blind or deaf, your only lot in life was to be a beggar. You would sit at the city gates or the temple gates or in the, in the city square and you would beg and hope that through the kindness of strangers, you could survive. But, but all that's gone now for this man. Now he can imagine, uh, now he can find a wife. He can have kids. He can find a career. He can begin contributing. He can return uh, all the good things that people have done to him. He can now provide for himself and return good for good. And begin to bless others. His imagination must have been running wild. And no doubt, when, when on the awards ceremony, when it's time to give your thanks, the guy would have given his very best thanks be to God for making all this possible. Um, would have been incredibly grateful for what Jesus had done for him. And Jesus would have gotten all the credit as he deserves. But can you imagine the gratitude this man feels towards those four men who took him to Jesus? I mean, they could have taken him and said, Oh man, listen, I'm really sorry. The house is full. We tried. I mean, we carried you all this way. 
And we don't even know how far they came. Maybe they even came from the next town over. Maybe they had been carrying this man on a mat for miles and miles. And they get to the house and they go, listen, we tried our best. We can't even get to the door, much less get in. Sorry. You know, maybe he'll swing through town again some other time. They said, no, we came this far. We're certainly not going to stop now. So they climbed up on top of the roof of someone else's home and dug a hole. It didn't matter what it took. It didn't matter what it cost. They were going to get their friend before Jesus. While Jesus does get all the credit and should, can you imagine how thankful this man was for his friends? In James chapter 5, God puts part of the the healing process in our hands. In James 5, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? This is James, the brother of Jesus, actually, giving instructions to the church. If, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's two instances of healing in this verse. And the first one is, is, is physical. Are you sick? Then we should get together as one church and pray. Beg God to do what only He can do. And then as James gets on to the topic of prayer and how prayer is powerful and effective, he moves on, six, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, that seems strange. I thought we're supposed to pray to God when we've messed up. And... And you are. And the truth is, when you pray to God, God brings forgiveness. And some, some level of healing. But what James makes clear here is, if you really want to be healed, we've got to do this together. We're in this together you're not a lone wolf you're not running this show solo we're in this together we were reading in luke chapter 5 earlier at the very beginning of jesus ministry in luke chapter 10 obviously we're farther down the road and jesus's ministry is growing and jesus begins to get other people involved in doing what he's been doing it says this, and starting in verse 1 of Luke 10, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. So now we go from 12 to 72 disciples. Two by two, 
into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 8, we'll skip down a little bit. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Even in his own ministry, and then as the church begins to grow, Jesus gives instructions for his people to be involved in the healing process. By going out, by praying, by partnering together. And then as we saw in the story in Luke chapter 5, by bringing people to Jesus. Some of you in here this morning, this message is uh, centered and focused with laser intensity right into your life and and, and this is an area that you're struggling with. Jesus wants to lift the burden off your shoulders. Jesus wants to bring healing into your life. Maybe physical, but certainly emotional and mental and spiritual. Jesus wants to make you whole. Don't allow God to just be some old guy in the sky who grants wishes. He's not just here to do things to make this life easier. Jesus wants to make you whole. and He wants to get to the root of the problem, which is the sin that has fractured our relationship with Him. Some of us know people who need healing. And it's our job to bring it to them. It's our job to get them to Jesus. Maybe they need healing because they're sick and hurting. And they need you to bring them into a group of God's family to gather around them, to rally around them, to be a support system, to lift them up in prayer. And they need you to do that. Maybe they're not whole. Maybe spiritually they're broken. Their lives are fractured and separated from Christ. And they need their sins forgiven. It is your job to bring healing and wholeness to them by sharing with them the message of the gospel of Jesus, by bringing them into the church so they can be surrounded by others who can share with them, or to to listen to God's word be preached so that their eyes can be opened. There's people who need healing and wholeness in your life. And Jesus wants us to get involved in the process. To take the message to them. To go to pray for them And to bring them to Jesus. Um, If I were honest, it's a little bit deceiving to say that the church is the greatest place on earth. Because the reality is the church isn't a place. The church isn't a building. 
Church isn't a set of programs. It's not a designated time and place in which we meet. The church is the people. It's us. Let this building burn to the ground or get blown away in a tornado. We didn't lose our church. We just lost the place that we meet at. We are the church. We move down the road. It's still us. Church isn't a place, it's a group of people who are united together in our faith and purpose and mission. And if we really want to be the kind of church that honors God, we have to do the things that He does. And our God heals. Will you pray with me? Lord, I come to you this morning. God, asking for you to do something in this place and in our lives that only you can do. That for those in here today who are hurting physically or are having physical issues, God, we lift them up in prayer to you. Lord, for those who are seeking wholeness would you reach out and touch their lives would you let them realize and know and believe that that forgiveness from sin and that wholeness comes from you and you alone god would you put a fire in us a passion a burden to be a part of the healing process to get over our insecurities, to be filled with courage, just to reach out and to touch somebody and to pray for them, to cast away fear and doubt and share the truth of your love with those around us, to do whatever it takes to help bring people to hear your truth, to hear your message, to be surrounded by Christians who will will love and model for them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Would you move in our hearts?